This bonus episode of We Are The Weather is a global community programme I'm working on with my friend Patrick Abrahams, the UK Men's Shed Association and Froome FM. It's called Shed Happens Even If You're Self-Isolating. Please get this podcast to as many people as possible as it really could help someone in these times. Thank you. Bonus episode six, celebrating mobile sheds and the new normal on Earth Day. First aired Wednesday, the 29th of April, 2020, with your host, Patrick Abrahams. In the shed, the shed, the lovely little shed. Might as well get a chest or peel the toilet and the bed. It's the only place where I can go and tinker with my toys. Go and find solitude with a bunch of ugly guys. Be break. So welcome to Shed Happens. Um, I'm Patrick. This weekly show, whilst we're socially isolating, is brought to you by the UK Men's Shed Association and Froome FM. It's about men's shed and the shed movement, but aimed at everyone. To remind you, always follow strictly the guidance issued by the UK government and the NHS regarding the coronavirus. And as restated by a Boris Johnson, back on his feet again, good to see him. So please stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. Coming up is a short taster of what you'll hear on the show today. Welcome to Shed Happens in Glorious Stereo, broadcasting around the UK and around the world. In today's show... Yeah, do you know anyone that wants 60 bus seats? <laughs> Beyond every, every great men's shed, there often is a woman. The scientists and, and governments are learning how to handle this and we need to be a bit sympathetic rather than throwing bricks at them all the time for not knowing the answers. When, I, when I'm cracking jokes about my wife, I put a hard hat in, in case she appears around the corner with a rolling pin. Uh, stay positive, stay away from fake news, and uh, enjoy the time, make the most of it. Shit happens even when you're self-isolating, so self-isolate responsibly. This show was recorded on the 28th of April 2020 with everyone taking part remotely and most of the interviews you hear were recorded last week. So please let us know how you think the show could help you. If you've got ideas, suggestions or would like to contribute in future Wednesday morning Shed Happens shows. I mean, do you have some music you've composed? Do contact us at shedhappens at ukmsa.org.uk. Now, today in our studio, we have, uh, well, in Manchester, in Wells and Froome and Westbury, we have Shedders Kate and Dan, and we're also welcoming Steve Whitby from the Wells Community Shed. That's Wells in Somerset, not Wales, as um, often people say to me when I say the Wells Shed. That's as in the baby-eating Bishop of Bath and Wells. That's exactly the one. <laughs> Who didn't eat babies, let's, let's just make that clear, or maybe he did, I don't know. <laughs> Other bishops are available. <laughs> right, okay, thank, thanks for taking part, everybody. Please say hello, Shedders. Hello, Hello, Shedders. Hello, Shedders. Shedders. This show can be heard again on Froome FM from 2pm on Saturday. See more details on www.shedhappens.uk. So, Steve, welcome to Shed Happens. 
could we kick off and let us know about the Wells Community Shed and how it started and what goes on there? Uh, but maybe start off by giving us an idea about how you're managing with the lockdown yourself. Right. Well, obviously, it's uh, challenging times, to say the least. Technology is coming to the uh, help of us all. Uh, without a doubt, the Internet has become uh, a very, very important asset. And uh, between the shedders uh, in Wells, we've started a chat, uh, a WhatsApp chat group. And I must admit, most of the time it's sharing jokes so that we keep our spirits up. But it does actually keep us up to date with how they're all feeling, what their state of health is, and more importantly, what ideas they've got when we do reopen the shed. So that's good because uh, we were having longs and lots of discussions about some of the older guys in the shed where the internet is still, um, how can I say, a very fragile and dangerous thing. Um, but now they're actually using it in a, a very positive way. How did you set up the WhatsApp group? We got from their membership details their email addresses and we pinged them all just saying would they be happy to be in an organised group which we had a fantastic response from that. And then it started off slowly with very few sort of transactions, but now it's a regular thing, probably at least two or three times a day, somebody's putting something on there for us to share. Uh, and I, I hesitate to ask, but what, what kind of things get shared on this WhatsApp group now, Steve? Well, I must admit, jokes are becoming the most uh, <laughs> regular item on there and they're coming in from all sorts of uh, sort of areas. But it does, I mean, one of the things that we set the shed up was for to people to have fun. And I can honestly say <laughs> the WhatsApp <laughs> chat is definitely doing that. Can you give us any examples of jokes which are suitable to be shared um, on air? Yeah, so I just told one previously about uh, Donald Trump and uh, he said he wasn't bragging that he'd been able to complete a jigsaw puzzle in less than a week and uh, on the box it said uh, two to three years <laughs> how many people have you got taking part in the whatsapp group for? there's probably about 10 uh, regular people at the moment some are more uh, transmitting than others but they're all responding positively to the the type of items and the chit chat that goes on which is fantastic especially when people are isolated at home it's probably the only way that they're talking to people outside their house but there's going to say because i know whatsapp is available also on your computer so that this must be mostly members who have got smartphones is that is that right or predominantly yes uh, because i must admit that the computers are not as um, not as widely used as we would expect them to be, but mobile phones they are definitely a lifeline now. Everyone's got one, um, and they're learning how to use it more regularly now, with other than just voice calls. Anyway, look, Steve, let me take you back to the um, when the Wells Shed first started up. I mean, I think you were there right at the beginning, weren't you? I certainly was. I was only a young lad then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it had its grand opening on in October 2018, but it took us quite a while, probably about seven or eight months prior to that, from the kickoff, where we got some funding to actually start to refurbish, renovate, building or shed. 
And uh, there was a gang of us that uh, project managed that, fitted out, and we were really grateful that we got some sponsorship funding to be able to do the basics like insulation, electrics, uh, safety, windows, making it health and safety wise and what have you. And uh, since then, the membership has grown. And then we've had a, not a problem, but it's, a, it's been a bit of a dilemma. The, the shed was open one day a week. And because of obviously health and safety constraints, we were limited on the number of people that could participate on any one session. And at that, obviously, we have to have a qualified first aider, shed manager and so on and so forth so when we needed to move to a another day's opening we had to make sure that we had the right number of people trained for health and safety reasons in order to open the shed and thankfully we've been able to do that uh, we started off in february and that's been really good so we've got new members that come in on a friday and we've also got some of the guys that were coming along on a Monday they're coming along because they want to finish some of the jobs they want to do or again they just want to be in the shed which is brilliant the sort of activities that we're doing has changed subtly from the start originally we did virtually only furniture repairs and uh, that was from just gluing back things together to completely rebuilding legs and things like that but then um, we got together and we had a, a really energetic meeting where we asked the guys what they would like to do other than just repairs. And the thing that came out loud and clear was that they wanted to make things. So it started off with coat racks, bird boxes, um, and garden planters, pl uh, plant divers, plant boxes, and things like that. Then we went on to garden furniture, and then we've gone on to shoe racks, and then we've gone on to garden furniture. But believe it or not, the most popular thing that we've been doing, and the one that's generating our most money, is hedgehog houses. <laughs> and obviously at the moment, uh, hedgehogs are the theme of the week. And uh, here's a slight joke, but it is true. We've even sold a hedgehog to somebody who came back and asked us if we could add an extension to it, which we did. Was it was it a conservatory? Was it Steve or a, a what? Well, they didn't know. We didn't know if they wanted a glass conservatory or just another bedroom added. <laughs> we were having problems, obviously, trying to get the plumbing in to put the extra bathroom in, but <laughs> but that just shows that hedgehogs are really really popular at the moment, which is fantastic. And uh, the guys like waking them, and uh, we've sold a hell of a lot of them. So uh, hedgehogs are here to stay. What's the going rate for a hedgehog box these days? We charge about 25 quid, but that's completely waterproof. It's safety. It's got its own little ramp. It's, it's got its own little name tag on it, so you can name your hedgehog. It's funny, actually, they're pulling together all the sort of fun facts of sheds, you know, a million cups of tea and how many chisels, how many hammers. I wonder how many birds and hedgehogs have benefited and been impacted by a housing crisis for both of those species. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. We had one customer that came along to one of our uh, fates where she owns or has access to a large estate, and they were really worried that their head... Uh, 
First of all, she didn't realize that there was a thing called hedgehog houses because she originally came along because she wanted lots and lots of bird boxes. So we thought, oh, okay. So there's obviously a big market for that as well. It, it's amazing how the world changes. I mean, hedgehogs used to be in such prevalence and now they're in such short supply and there is a lot of protection. I mean, I, I even found out through these activities that there is um, a dedicated hedgehog hospital in Somerset and there is a, a shop dedicated to generating funds for hedgehogs so it is the topic of the month at the moment and and in actual fact uh, Steve one of the really important things of course uh, we've never seen such tidy gardens as we've seen in this no. country in the last couple of weeks and people need to be so aware to try and protect hedgehog environments um, so you know keep keep your garden looking beautiful but be aware that there are little areas where you can just leave be where hedgehogs will absolutely thrive just worth mentioning i've spoken to a couple of sheds who have ended up going back to that collaboration with local partners and um, working with nature and conservation organizations some sheds have actually done sort of bird box hedgehog days um, so they get members of the public to come in and the men's shed effectively run the event so they get an income generation but it also supports the local conservation charitable aims as well so it's a really nice link up um, it certainly is yeah without a doubt and that i think that's one of the big pluses you, if you're just building things to sell them fine but if you're doing it and it's actually having a positive impact on the environment that is really the golden chalice Feels like a very nice link to a, a, a feature later in the show, Pat. Well, exactly. <laughs> and I was going to say thank you for that, Steve. Um, and, but one of the things that, that we I think we could probably um, look to is you you made some some reference to the challenges of going from one to two sessions. So yeah. in that session later, we've got um, maybe you could elaborate on that because one of the things that sheds are going to have to do is to reduce their numbers in the in the shorter term. To maintain yeah. social distancing so the number of sheds you've got to increase the number of their sessions is likely to go up and so the challenges that, that the wells shed came across to go to that second session may be worthwhile talking about a little later we have started thinking about it um, because we know that we want to get the guys back together as soon as possible but obviously the social distancing and the other regulations do impose some constraints on us uh, another question for Steve. Steve, I was uh, reading up on you and I was uh, absolutely delighted to see that you've been involved uh, with uh, lots of different uh, groups locally with the Masonic Charitable Foundation and the Wells Lions yeah. and all that kind of thing who have all, have all been involved and something I touched on on the other week. It's great for um, organisations to, to work with and, in, and encourage each other. But one, one, I, one I found particularly interesting was the Heads Up one. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Well, Heads Up is actually co-located or we're co-located mm -hmm. with heads up heads up is really for people with dementia or other mental problems what we've tried to do is come up with projects where we could work together so that it's a win-win so obviously we've had a couple of things like on the hedgehog houses initially where we would fabricate the hedgehog house we build it but then it needs to be painted and finished so what we then did it's almost like a little mini production line we've passed that across to the heads up people for them to finish so both sides are gaining out of it 
And then we've also looked at different ways of raising funds, having joint stalls and what have you. And we have regular meetings just to look at ideas of how we could actually work together. So yeah, oh, it's, it's well worth it. Yeah, fantastic. Best wishes to all the Wells Shedders and keep Thank up the you. WhatsApp group. Um, now here's Paul Creakin. Kate and I interviewed him last week about men's sheds in South Lanarkshire, especially their mobile shed. Paul, welcome to Shed Happens. I'll let Paul introduce himself, but he works for South Lanarkshire Council and is a hero behind um, a mobile shed that they've got going up there. But let me uh, let Paul introduce himself and tell us who he is and what he does. Over to you, Paul. Thanks very much, Patrick. Yeah, I'm Paul Creek and I'm the development worker with the Mobile Shed Project for South Lanarkshire Council. Um, the project was the, the brainchild of Christine Calder, the manager at Seniors Together, and we've seen the success that um, breast screening buses and blood donation buses had when they were mobile. They were able to engage within the community. And across South Lanarkshire, it has a lot of rural areas. So we wanted to be able to try and take the message of the men's shed to all these areas and get it beyond a lot of the, the bigger towns. So that was where the idea for the mobile shed came from. Three years ago, they applied to the National Lottery Community Fund and they were awarded £114,000 for a three-year project to convert a mobile library bus and convert it into the men's shed. Paul, well, we've pointed this out before, but the number of sheds that started after a lady made some kind of suggestion <laughs> is amazing. We, we've, we've commented on that before, Kate, haven't we? We have, yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Beyond every, every great men's shed, there often is a woman. <laughs> well, she managed to bring the three sheds that there was existing in South Lancashire and create it into a network. And it was the network that was behind the push for the mobile to try and help the message spread further. And sorry, Paul, what were those three sheds? That was the Hamilton and District Main Shed. There was the Rutherford and Canvas Line Main Shed and East Colbert. That was the kind of network that supported the, the mobile shed? That was, yes. And the, the members who were involved in the network were key. They were consulted at every stage of the application process to try and make sure that the shaders were completely behind this and they were helping to make all the decisions. And that network come together organically? How did that kind of come to... Were you just involved in sort of... Sort, how did it come together? Yeah. Uh, seniors Together had seen the idea of the men's shed in other localities and they had put it to some of the members who were involved in lots of groups about the idea of establishing men's sheds in these three areas. So they were still supporting the idea and then helped to bring people together to show what they were doing in the sheds. And it, it still continues to this day. The Shed Network meets once a month and we now have 12 sheds. It's great the way it's blossomed and grown. There's a lot of power in sheds connecting with each other. But every month, 12 sheds, that's a powerful thing too, Paul. It's fantastic, yeah, we meet in the council chambers, so there's, it's fantastic, they're, they're up, um, showing all the power that they have when they're connected. There's lots of then, every, every shed's at a different level of kind of being developed, so there is a lot of support for each other there. And it's great now that everybody realises it's not just confined to one meeting. There's lots of support external to that. It's brilliant. But it seems to me that you meet in the council chamber, so South Lanarkshire continue 
their fantastic support to all the sheds in the area? The the support we've had from South Lanarkshire has been instrumental to what we're trying to do. The through seniors together, all the councillors they are really buying into it. Um, the mobile shed has been a joint project. We've had fantastic promotion from all the communications team. The because it's a mobile library bus, we are able to park up at community centres, sports centres, and then allow shaders to use the facilities there. Because we are a council project as well, we have links which makes it easier for sheds to then get a lease in a council premises. The support is across a lot of departments. It's fantastic and it's really helped a lot at the development or the early stages of the shed. You tell me back to the early stages. So you, you've got your £114,000 for three years. You've got support yes. from seniors together and South Lanarkshire Council. And you've got three men's sheds who, who, who are happy to kind of move forward on it. So how did you start it all off and, and, and what happened at the beginning? The beginning, that seems like a long time ago now, Patrick. But because this was such a, a brand new project, we decided we would have a, a three-week promotional tour with the bus. So we, we plan to take it around lots of buildings, supermarkets, uh, sports centres where the community would be in that town and just try to have as much promotion, engagement as we could. After that then we had a lunch event and invited all the local shedders, got all of them to participate. Um, we took the bus round to the existing sheds as well, showing it off as much as we could. We had involvement from the local university. It was fantastic and it, it just helped to kind of really promote it. I think we managed to complete the, the bingo set of all the local papers across South Lanarkshire as well. <laughs> We've appeared in all of them. And what about the universities? That's an interesting link up as well. I, only last year I finished my degree in community education. So we, we set up links with the university and we took the bus for a trip to there as well so it was it got a great reception congratulations for which university was that it was the university of the west of scotland i managed to complete my dissertation on shedagogy <laughs> <laughs> shedagogy there's Shedagogy, a word yes. <laughs> there's a word for you we managed to make a film of the promotional tour <laughs> and that, that was part of my project for third year as well, making a film about how well the tour had done. So you really brought everyone together. You brought the council and the charities and the universities. Any businesses help support you on the way around of this call? It's been fantastic. If anyone's been on YouTube, I would uh, advise them to go and look at some of the videos, see when the bus is in an area. It's just so eye-catching with the wrap that we have on it. Um, there's lots of videos on South Lanarkshire Council's YouTube channel. Um, so what we've done is when we've been in an area, then we're there for up to three months to try and then help the shedders in that area to develop their own shed. So we're always stating from the start it would be their shed that we would help to support them to develop. So it's fantastic now to see the sheds developed. There is all the businesses in each area that are supporting them. There is one uh, one of the sheds that we helped to support who has a gentleman uh, walking the West Highland Way in his garden this week. It's a local business going out of their way to support one of the Stonehouse men's sheds. Fantastic, but that strategy is very interesting in terms of you didn't you weren't using the shed to 
visit, you know, this town on a on a Tuesday and this on a Thursday. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, you 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 decided to place it in one place for three months um, um, to promote the launch of a shed, and has that been successful? Um, our initial idea was to take it round a different area on a Monday, a Tuesday, kind of like an ice cream van. But that was met with a bit of negativity from the shedders who advised us that then potential new members wouldn't be able to get involved or help finish a project. So taking on their advice, we then changed the way the project was going and we were based in an area for that up to 12 weeks. This has worked fantastically well. We were then able to work with the members to find out what there already was in that community, what would work for them. And we just built up so many links within the community and the members, it, it's been brilliant. I was just going to say, so it sounds like the bus is acting as a sort of shed seed. So it's seeding the idea <laughs> into the community with the idea of getting it going. And then, and then once it's started going, you, you feel like the bus is ready to move on to somewhere else. Is that that's how you see it then? Exactly, yes. And it, it's great. We were quite... Um, we were quite important as well that we didn't want it to be uh, a crutch to the, the guys as well then so it was open two days a week so we didn't want it five days a week and then it moved on but it was there in that area for the three months and then the support continued externally with the shed network with myself as a development worker we then set up public meetings at the end of the three months to try and engage as many people locally as we could so no, we still support the the areas that we've been to. Still speak with them regularly, and it's working very well at the moment. So you you during not only have you launched your shed over three your mobile shed over three years, you've grown the number of sheds from three to twelve. Yes, it's been fantastic. Um, there's some of those areas that we've went to, and the idea has just. It's, it's almost been waiting for the bus just to arrive and kickstart the seed, if you like, there. Um, there's some of the guys who were engaging in the network, looking at the best way to start their shed. And it's been brilliant now. Can I ask you about the logistics of managing a bus? Because I think it's a big question that a lot of people have, is, you know, yeah. is how, how do you make it work? Uh, and all the problems that come with well, challenges. <laughs> That's say challenges, not problems. <laughs> We had, yes, quite a few challenges at the start of the project. Um, it's made a lot easier now that I can drive the bus. So that, being the development worker and being able to drive it, takes away some of the problems that we don't have to plan around when a driver is available. Because this was the first of its kind, there was a few delays in the startup and getting the project off the ground. It is an older vehicle as well, so it isn't without its challenges maintaining the bus. Fortunately, we've had a lot of people who are very understanding of that and things as well, so it works very well when it does. So how substantially is the internal, the, the inside of the bus? How's, is that just a men's shed or it can be used for anything else? We, again, when we were designing the inside of the bus, we took advice from the guys at the shed who... They didn't want people coming on and were being told what to do, so it is left as open as we could. On the bus we have a space for people just to sit and have a blather. Um, we've got a smart TV for tutorial videos. There is a workshop towards the back of the bus. 
But most important in any shed is the kettle. So anyone who steps up the stairs of the bus, they're always met with a cup of tea and a biscuit, someone, a friendly face, a conversation. Um, so we've also got lots of information we like to share with the guys. So it's, it's, it's very relaxed, very informal. What's great on a nice day like we've got today, we've also got the awning out. We can have a table to sit at the side of the bus. It is working very well with the, the curtain. We can section off to different areas of the bus as well. We are very well equipped for any projects that people are wanting to take up. We've got um, some model kits as well, and dominoes, cards. It's just very, very leisurely, the same as a day in the shed would be. Well, you know, the reason that Kate and I were laughing is that we've, we must have done, I don't know how many interviews we've done, Kate, but it's dozens. And from Honolulu to yeah. Australia, all the way across the UK, the number of times people say, most important thing in the shed is the kettle. Yes. Yeah. It's just <laughs> fantastic. But uh, what, how do you manage for electrical power? We, uh, because we're a council project, we have external power that we can connect the bus to the buildings. But. We wanted to make sure that we were able to tra travel anywhere. We also have a generator on the bus so we can park up and plug in anywhere. There's the electrical umbilical cord that comes out of the bus. So it's like a mobile home and we can plug in and park up anywhere. <laughs> so are you, are you managing to, to stay connected to the sheds? Are the shed, is the South Lanarkshire Men Shed Network meeting virtually uh, during this lockdown period? I, I think the the lockdown's given a chance for the resilience of the shaders to shine through again. What some of the pictures of what they've been doing, keeping busy, some things they've been making, it's been brilliant to see. Um, one of our members, he's became the unofficial network secretary, and he now sends out a very kind of tongue-in-cheek, light-hearted newsletter every every week. And what kind of activities have they been getting up to during the lockdown? One of our sheds, um, well, they formed their own shed band. And one of the members of that has now been sending me a song almost every week to keep all our members entertained. That's been going out on our Facebook page. We have daily move about breaks going out at 10 o'clock every morning. Which is just trying to encourage people to stay more active photography competition going on and um, we're going to be launching a shed showcase next week as well what's the shed show off all the thing. what's the shed's showcase we're going to try and um, just encourage the members to try and help each other by showing off what they're making in the house competition between the sheds so they can really competition of things that we can do try to win connected so um that'll be our competition we'll be launching next week we also put up our connect four challenge for our members which was to try and use their own network of members and try and connect with four people each day or each week using either email phone calls social media whatsapp Whatever method they fancy, it's just trying to keep in touch with everyone. And what about you personally? How are you managing uh, during the last five, six weeks? 
it's a wee bit of a change working at home, isn't it, for everyone? But no, I'm as well as can be. It's been great hearing from all the shaders, all the members of seniors together. You're trying to help as many people as you can, so it's been good. It's great to hear all the different ways that people are adapting and just still connecting with each other. Yeah, no, it is. And there's, there's, I mean, I like the Connect Your Connect Four Challenge. There's a photography competition going on in quite a few sheds. Our Move About Breakers, uh, that's very popular as well. What's that one? Our Move About Break. Yeah. We adapted this. We have four assemblies a year for seniors together, and we normally have 100 plus members attending these. Um, we normally have one of our coaches from the active age. Um, they'll come and they'll do some exercises for two or three songs. Just simple exercises people can do around their chair. So we've now adapted this and put it online as a Facebook watch party every morning. The Active Age coach has recorded videos of himself and then we encode the two or three songs there. So it's just trying to encourage people again to be more active and not sitting about. So yeah, yeah. it's getting some great numbers of people watching it online. Excellent. It's really good. So how do you think this, this current crisis, Paul, is going to affect how sheds operate in future? I would hope um, after not too long we can put social distancing a wee bit behind us, we can recover from the state we're in at the moment and I don't know, is it, is it right to say we could go back to normal or we could improve what normal was? We could try and maintain the way that people are helping each other. I hope we can maintain some of the innovations that are taking place, yes, like your make a break. I think that would be a great positive to take from all, all of this and you know, terrible tragedies a lot of people are going through. But if we could keep the way people are looking out for each other and helping one another, I think it would be wonderful to see, hopefully in the not too distant future. No, I, I agree entirely. Um, I think the shed's kind of motto of shoulder to shoulder, the, the way that the shedders are looking out for each other, I, I don't think that's in any danger of stopping. So it's, it's just great to see it being recognised. Yeah. yeah. I just think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. Um, and I, I look forward to being able to come and visit you uh, one day. <clears throat> so the <laughs> Hopefully once all of this is over, yeah, we can get it that arranged as soon as possible. You'd yeah. be more than welcome as we do, Patrick. Yeah, well, that's fair. Love to see you. Fair, yeah, I would. I'd love to. It's funny, I actually, would... you have you actually gone on to because I've got a, a I guess a, a list of what I can do when COVID when COVID nineteen is sort of over, and you are on that list. <laughs> <laughs> I moved you. I moved you from my active to do list to life after Corona to do list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But look, Paul, um, we, we're, we're coming um, close to the end. Is there, was there any message you'd like to pass the South Lanarkshire Shedders or any of your kind of um, amazing network you have that up there in, the, in South Lanarkshire? Well, I'm, I'm just kind of the voice of, of the network at the moment. All of the, the hard work is done by the, the members of the Shed, the people who are connecting, helping each other. It's, it, it would just be me standing at a bus if it wasn't for them, can all the help everybody gives to each other. Uh, so no, it, it's been a privilege, if you like, to be involved with it, helping each other. The way the sheds have grown and the way everybody gets involved with it, it's been fantastic. 
and it's down to the hard work of a lot of people who are involved with it. And I suspect a lot of inspiration from your good self too, Paul. <laughs> You're too kind. No. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, thank you very much for having me on today. It's been great talking with you both. Well, no, we enjoyed talking to you too. And best wishes to all of those shedders in South Lanarkshire. Yes, and everyone else in from. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, if you know of any other mobile sheds, please be in touch with us at shedhappens.ukmsa.org.uk. Now, here's another shed that does some really interesting stuff. This is David Young from the Clevedon Shed near Bristol. Well, David, um, welcome to Shed Happens. Thank you for joining us from Clevedon. Um, perhaps you could maybe uh, kick off by giving us um, how the Clevedon Shed was set up in the first place. Well, we formed about three years ago, and uh, now we're a registered charity. I, I retired and I was thinking about a men's shed and I looked on the UK Men's Shed Association. There wasn't one in area, our area, so I gave up. And then uh, just a month later, somebody contacted me through social media and said, are you interested in setting up a men's shed? <laughs> so three of us got together and uh, we, we formed and we've been growing ever since. Well, we, had a, we held a public meeting and I prepared a, a PowerPoint presentation and we had about 30 people turn up. We uh, had a couple of uh, sort of people volunteer as trustees and founder members. We had a, a separate meeting afterwards. We assigned somebody to find property and they found um, an interesting building uh, behind uh, uh, a hall, the Prince's Hall in Clevedon, where they hold uh, pantomimes and shows and things. Behind the hall, there was a building used by two amateur dramatic clubs. They lease it from the North Somerset County Council. They only use it during the evenings. The building consists of rehearsal rooms, toilets, kitchen, and a workshop. So they asked us if we would help them to make sort scenery and props for their pantomimes in exchange for rent-free use of the building during the days. So we now meet twice a week in this building, and uh, we quickly outgrew the small workshop, decided we needed a shed. So with a grant, we purchased a shed where we installed dust uh, extraction equipment and moved all our dirty sawdust producing equipment into that shed. And it was a slight distance away from the building and we thought, wouldn't it be nice to have this bit of land? Well, it had taken us 18 months to get the North Somerset Council to agree to us to put the shed up. And uh, we, we got on good terms with them and they'd finally given us a five year license to occupy the land. We built a veranda outside our workshop to uh, give us some weather cover over four outside benches. And um, on the bit of land, we're landscaping it. We built some decking, which we've now in the process, so we're halfway through extending it because it wasn't big enough as our membership grew. And we're going to put up some raised beds. Now, my shedders tell me they're going to grow cannabis, but I said herbs are okay, but not <laughs> cannabis. So we do have some... We do have some ex-policemen amongst us, so yeah. I, I think we're watching what they grow very, very closely. And this is all rent-free, is that right, David? Yes, yeah, we're, we're, we're really um, sitting back of being very pleased with ourselves at the moment because we can imagine the problems that some sheds have got with um, rent and, uh, you know, outgoings with their sheds. So exactly. all we pay for is um, electricity. We take a meter reading when we start a session and finish it and pay for our uh, usage of the power but in exchange we do help maintain the building and we've improved the building 
Tell me what kind of activities take place in the Cleveland Shed besides the, um, you know, building refurbishment and the, well, and the, and the decking and the raised beds and working on the, um, on the scenery. What other kind of projects do you have going? A lot of our time is spent um, improving our own facilities. Um, that's always an ongoing task. So luckily we have an outside, the outside area and uh, those who don't want to be cooped up inside the workshop really like being outside but normally it ends up with one or two people working and five or six leaning on shovels, advising on, you know, don't do it like that. But, um, we're quite lucky to have the outside area. So that's quite a, quite a useful thing to uh, activity. Uh, we also make things and uh, make things to sell. Um, things like Christmas decorations and uh, toys, things like that, small wooden items. But uh, with anything we make, we're very anxious for it not to turn, turn into a production line or a manufacturing facility. And uh, I have a saying which I, I tell to people is, uh, um, it's, it's more about the journey, not, not, not uh, the destination. So if someone wants to start with a block of wood and end up with a pile of sawdust, that's fine. So long as he's enjoyed himself, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, that's the making of things. And... Um, then we're, uh, we're often repairing, renovating and fixing things that people bring in, either bits of a boat or bits of broken furniture or garden paraphernalia, anything like that. And where do you get all the materials from then for things like the... Um, well, we, we go around the town collecting used pallets and we break the pallets up and we have a thickness planer and we can improve the pallet wood slightly. We make all sorts of things out of that. But uh, we do get uh, carpenters in the town drop off cuts off to us quite often, and that's quite good. And we look out on social media for things like half boxes of solid wood um, flooring and that sort of thing. But uh, we try and reuse and recycle whenever possible. Yeah, that reminds me, I went to see a, a shed in Yorkshire just before lockdown, uh, based in Cliff Castle, and uh, there was this lovely guy who was rummaging around in various offcuts and things like that. And I said, hello, who are you? And he went, I'm the local Stig of the Dump. <laughs> he was one of the lead people who goes around and tries to find, you know, bits of materials and various opportunities, then brings it down the shed and the shedders make use of it. So, <laughs> so lovely. We have, we, have an we have an expanding uh, market in the, in the town on a Sunday during the summer and a lot of craftsmen set up with woodwork and I, I go around to, to look at what they're making and we try to make things that are slightly different and not to uh, make the same and undercut them and fall out with local craftsmen. How's the lockdown affected you? My wife and I were on an extended three-week holiday in Madeira uh, from the start of the beginning of March. Two weeks into the holiday, um, we had a Zoom conference with our daughters who were very worried about the involving situation. And, uh, they convinced us to catch the next plane home, which was good really, because uh, um, we would have been moved from our nice five-star resort into a hotel and quarantined in our room. So um, we cut the holiday short and came home. Uh, whilst I was away, our shed were, were rapidly changing plans as the situation developed and they tried to stay socially uh, separated but uh, gave up. So my experience with, uh, with Zoom rescuing me from Madeira got me thinking that uh, you know, it might be a good idea to, um, to uh, start Zoom conferences. So um, 
the trustees had set up a, um, a system of buddy-buddy calls. We divided up the contact list and uh, taken five or six people each and agreed to ring them sort of once a week. But I didn't think that was enough. And um, as a registered charity with a, with a purpose that is claimed to be um, trying to help uh, socially excluded people and helping eliminate social isolation and loneliness, um, I thought Zoom might be able to help. So on the 24th of March, we started our meetings and uh, we've held 10 Zoom meetings so far and they've all been quite successful. We have a few ground rules, um, but uh, just uh, I host the meeting and uh, bring people on, you know, when they when they join. Sometimes uh, um, they don't all join at the start, but um, I've actually started a paid uh, subscription now so that we can extend it. And uh, we've had 10 meetings and some of them have gone on to uh, an hour and a half or, or even longer. So, um, yeah, and we have a bit of an agenda. We, we try to steer away from politics, sex, religion, <laughs> all those sort of things. But uh, we have a bit of a soft agenda, really. First, starting off with making sure that everyone is healthy and well, and then going on to checking that uh, our shedders, have, uh, if any of them, have got any needs. We're lucky in the town that we've got a very good uh, volunteer organisation set up that will go and collect prescriptions and shopping for people. So um, whenever I'm asking this question, I'm saying to people, if anyone you know has uh, got to stay in the house, well, I can put them in contact with someone who can shop for them or something like that. But then we go on to ask what people have been doing. And, and that's that's been quite interesting, <laughs> what people have been getting up to. We have a couple with um, uh, 3D printers and also a couple with 3D routers. And they've been busy coming up with ideas of making things to sell. And uh, one of our chaps with a 3D printer has been making some visors for the local care homes, which has been useful. But uh, a lot of people have been reorganizing their garages or their workshops to make them more useful. And, and that's that's been my task. But interestingly, our membership ranges from 40 to nearly 90. And our oldest member came past my drive the other day and I said, what are you, what are you doing? And uh, he said, oh, I'm really busy. So I probed him during the Chrome, uh, during the Zoom meeting. And uh, he said, oh, I'm building a stone wall. And I said, what are your age? He said, yeah, it's only a 12 foot stone wall. The guy's 87. So don't well, let these people say, if you're a 70 year old, you have to sort of hunker down and do nothing. Well, I tell you what impresses me is, I, and it, it strikes me that we could perhaps find the oldest shedder using Zoom, Skype, or some other online conferencing process um, during this show. 87 is not bad. And what's, what's his first name, David? Dennis. Well, please pass on our congratulations to Dennis. <laughs> and hope that and the 87-year-old Zoom user um, shames some other people who maybe aren't prepared to have a go to, uh, to join up. So how many people join you on this Zoom call and how often do you hold it? We hold it at the normal coffee break times and that's on a, a Tuesday and Thursday at 11 o'clock and it's 11 till 12 or 11 till 12.30, twice a week. So how many people do you normally have joining your Zoom meeting? Uh, between sort of 9 and 12. And how does that compare with the number of people who normally come to your shed? That's, that's about half our membership. Okay, that's very good. Goodness me. And, and are you seeing most of your members drop in at some point or are there just some people that 
Um, no, it's generally the same people who are sort of has the have the technical you know wherewithal. Yeah. Um, we have got a couple of people who work in IT, and uh, we, I'm trying to encourage them to uh, make contact with the members that haven't got the technology. But I'm afraid that some are a lost cause. But uh, yeah, yeah, because we were talking about whether or not you know finding funding to be able to give out technology, whether that's a hand, you know, a phone or a tablet. But actually, even if you give somebody a device, it doesn't necessarily mean they want to use it. So yeah, we've discussed that possibility and uh, come to the same conclusion. So now these, these Zoom meetings, you ask people if they're healthy and well and whether they've got any needs and what have they been doing. My experience with a lot of these Zoom meetings is that you end up with some average or, or sometimes better, sometimes worse jokes that get shared. Do you have the similar kind of thing going on? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, just like our normal coffee breaks, you know, the normal hustle and bustle, our normal coffee breaks are ex exactly replicated in the Zoom meetings. We crack a lot of non-PC jokes, and um, yeah, and uh, sometimes at the expense of the mother-in-law or the wife. But I, I, I've got a trick up my sleeve. I've got a hard hat, and uh, when I when I'm cracking jokes about my wife, I put a hard hat, and in case she appears around the corner with a rolling pin. <laughs> now, funny, we were talking to a shed earlier that Zoom calls, and I said, "Is there any kind of problems?" He said, "Well, sometimes people interrupt each other, and sometimes." There are two conversations going on at the same time. And I said then, sounds a bit like a shed meeting to me. Um, do you have things that you see don't sometimes go right in the Zoom meeting? Yeah, as a, as a host, I generally sort of say to people, you know, that stick their hand up if they want to start talking and then everyone else has to give them the floor. But also, as a, as a host, I keep an eye out for anyone who's not contributing and then sort of ask them a question and draw them into the conversation. So that's, uh, you know, try to keep it going and, and uh, you know, get that's everyone to have a say. That's yeah. a really good point, actually. So I was speaking to um, Yorkshire Community First, a guy called Andy, Andy Ryland the other day, and he was saying they've done a big meeting. And actually, there's, there's almost a skill to be learned in how you facilitate meetings in video calls. So picking up on the people that are more likely to be quiet and encouraging them to yeah, ask some direct questions. So there's almost a kind of skill to it, to actually managing it online, which is different to in a normal room. Yeah. Yeah, I think a Zoom host is a facilitator very much. Yeah. yeah. Where, how do you decide when to f conclude the meeting? Well, if, uh, generally sort of on the hour, people who've sort of set aside an hour for it tend to fall away. And those that want to chat, you know, we carry on. And uh, like most sheds, we, we sometimes have people who have problems or, or are really suffering uh, in normal times. And, and that's been amplified in these days. So I have carried on the one-to-one -one with an individual if they've wanted to chat, you know. I've always said to members, you know, I've, I've got the Zoom and the laptop set up at any time. They can give me a ring and, and initiate a call and chat about anything. So, uh, you know, I think, I think the men sheds, we all have an important job to play um, when mental health issues are likely to be, uh, you know, um, growing all the time. So, uh, yeah. That's, that's that's it. So sometimes our meetings drag on as a one-to-one. -one. Um, now, David, I understand that um, the Clevedon Shed does work for an organisation called Legs for Africa. I wonder if you could maybe explain how did you get involved in this? Well, Legs for Africa is a, a charity based in Bristol, and they set out to send used prosthetics out to African countries. 
but they found that the legs were just being given out to people who uh, they didn't fit. And so um, that situation wasn't acceptable. So Tom Williams, who runs the charity, came up with the idea of asking the men's sheds to disassemble the prosthetic limbs into parts um, that could be sent out to Africa. And then with the help of Rotary, who sponsored um, technicians to go out during their summer holidays to Africa, train local technicians to reassemble these limbs into bespoke um, prosthetics, you know, to, to, to fit the individual amputee, um, the, the charity really took off. Quite a lot of sheds around the Bristol area have been doing this. Several uh, have got chalked up really large totals. I think one shed has done 700 limbs and our total is about 150 at the moment. But uh, our shedders that um, are less mobile tend to be the ones that gravitate towards doing this task. And they, they can sit around in the warm, around a table with a cup of coffee, uh, chatting away as they're um, disassembling the parts. And, and I have to say, breaking endless amounts of Allen keys. But they all find it a very rewarding um, job to do. And it's much appreciated by the charity. And um, I can recommend it to other sheds. And if anyone wants to uh, learn anything more about Legs for Africa, they can Google it and it's legs and then number four Africa and Bristol-based charity. And I'm sure that uh, at one stage when we get up and running and they get up and running, you know, they'd be grateful of a help. And uh, in the meantime, maybe a donation. It's a very deserving charity. Certainly our shedders that are doing the work find it very rewarding to go on the website and see the, uh, the recipients of these um, prosthetic limbs. Uh, even playing football with, with their new legs and that sort of thing. It's quite a rewarding thing to be involved in. You've mentioned then that you, you're working with Rotary on this as well. You clearly work well with North Somerset Council and also this theatre company and businesses in the town as well. So you seem to reach out and engage with all the kind of organisations in your area. Is that is that the case? Well, and Legs for Africa, obviously. Yeah, we like, we, we like to think that um, our shed's a, a community workshop and uh, we're part of the, the community. And we, we do set up outreach teams. So we get organizations asked us to do jobs for them, um, more jobs than we can take. So we set up a list and prioritize it. And uh, generally we take on one outreach project in the community at any one time. And uh, you know whichever comes to the top of the priority list, and if, if one of our, or a couple of our shedders want to volunteer to do it, the sort of things we've done is we've, uh, helped a mental health care charity renovate a, build, a semi-derelict building they were given. Um, we put up fences and sheds for disabled people. Um, we're doing maintenance work in a local park that's adjacent to our shed. We've made boxes, archive boxes, to archive um, valuable possessions for the local museum, made honours board for the TA Centre in, in Bristol. We've done all sorts of outreach jobs, but uh, so we are part of the community, but we have reached out to businesses. I, I saw that there was a breakfast meeting of small businesses in the town. They wanted about £200 for, for me to join their breakfast meeting, but I, I noticed that they gave a free offer of someone who could come along twice and pitch to them. So I went along and I listened to these businessmen pitching for their various businesses, multi-million pound businesses, and I stood up and I had three minutes to pitch um, Clevedon Men's Shed to them. And um, 
we came away with uh, a company that offered to design our logo which we then uh, had printed and uh, we made our own aprons with, with the logo on it so that was quite successful but it's, it's getting our name known david i am very impressed by the uh, your outreach work and um, the amount of things that you are doing and had done in just three years i think it's very impressive to be honest with you um we'd have been absolutely lost if it wasn't for the uk men's shed association we had some members sort of question, well, should we really spend that money on, on it? But it has been money well spent. Uh, if it wasn't for the templates they have on their website and their resource material, we probably wouldn't have a safeguarding policy. We probably wouldn't have a, uh, a data protection policy or a health and safety policy. And we probably wouldn't be registered as a charity. So, uh, yeah, hats off to the UK Men's Shed Association. I know it's only a few people, but you've really done a superb job and uh, we would be uh, we wouldn't be a shed like we are now if it wasn't for the for the uh, uh, the help that you've given us oh, that's really really nice to hear thank you so much david well look i'm afraid we're nearly at the end of our time now david it, would you like to give a message to um, um your shedders or to shedders more broadly about the lockdown and and, and what may be happening next yeah, I'd like to say to all our shedders and shedders around the world, really, stay safe, follow the official advice, ignore all the fake stories, and uh, be creative. Um, stay, stay in communication with people and do creative things. And also, look after your physical fitness, because if you don't, your mental fitness will go down, down the tubes as well. So that's my advice. Think about ideas of things that you can make when we get up and running and uh, start thinking about recovery plan. Uh, stay positive, stay away from fake news and uh, enjoy the time, make the most of it. And thank you very much to uh, Froom FM for the Shed Happens program. We're all really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. We visited the Froom Men's Shed and that gave us some ideas when we started. And good luck to them. I think they're doing a superb job along with, along with the UK Mentor Association. Thank you all very, very much. David, that, that's very kind. And please do pass on our best wishes to Dennis. And I hope that we hear from someone else who's over 87 years old that's using online conferencing software to stay <laughs> connected. Well, thank you, uh, David and the Cleveland Shedders. Now, if anybody knows anyone older than 87 years old who's using online conferencing software to stay connected, please let us know. Um, you're listening to Shed Happens on Froom FM 96.6, locally and online on demand worldwide at froom.fm. Please follow the guidance issued by the UK government and the NHS regarding coronavirus. We're coming up for the end of part one of this week's Shed Happens. Stay with us and we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes after the advert break. In part two, we'll hear from the Basingstoke Shed they're converting a double-decker bus into a shed. Bee break. So welcome back to part two of Shed Happens. Now we're going to hear from Mike about the Basingstoke Shed. Now Basingstoke in Hampshire is a relatively small town about 85,000 people, but it has four men's sheds and shortly a fifth mobile one in a double-decker bus. Here's that story from Mike Brady. 
Mike, welcome to Shed Happens. We're um, having a chat with Mike Braiding from the Basingstoke Shed. So Mike, give us um, a bit of background on the Basingstoke Shed and how long has it been going and what kind of things go on there? Well, we, we started it uh, on April Fool's Day, thought of it on April Fool's Day in a cafe in Basingstoke in 2016 and about three months later opened uh, and it cost us all of £8.63 to do it. Uh, and we've been ever since then uh, living in in the grounds of a school uh, rent free but then there's no such thing as free, free lunch is there so we're uh, we actually do quite a lot for the school which includes a bit of teaching here and there and uh, doing things like knocking down their gym walls and rebuilding them for them it's whatever they want really and uh, that proves to be quite good projects for, for us to do community. We do other things to the community. We've opened a second site down in the south of Basingstoke, the originals in the north. And other than that, it's probably pretty much like any shed. As I say, been going for just over about three and a half years now. And um, it, yeah, we, we've got uh, 35, 40 members, something like that. And most of them seem to have a good time. Well, I, uh, there's two things here. One is three months from your, your, your decision to launch an opening is terrific. £8.63 is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, it was my money, you see. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, 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 a, that's a lesson too. <laughs> so, so now there's two sheds in Basingstoke. There, well, there are actually four because two other people have started uh, a shed each. Uh, so we're, we're quite well off for sheds in Basingstoke. But four sheds in one town is very good. So what kind of things get you get up to in the in the, in the sheds? Well, as I say, you know, things like knocking down gym walls, doing things for the school, doing a bit of teaching for the school with the in conjunction with the teachers, because they don't actually have any tech teachers, um, the, the budget cutbacks and everything. But they do have a very nice workshop in there, a couple of workshops that, that we have access to and... Uh, are at the moment the prime users of which is quite good and so we do things for the for the uh, community um we've done uh, did a water wall for the kids at um a basingstoke something called bee love which is a basingstoke music festival we also did a sound wall which is uh, the water wall imagine water falling down this wall going through gutters and things like that and generally the kids getting wet with the sound wall they had um, they had their symbols and things like that that they could just bash and make a hell of a noise fortunately it was outdoors <laughs> so, but uh, that worked quite well but what what kind yeah. of things what kind of things are you teaching in the school basically uh, there there's a piece of wood there's a, a nail now bash that into that and see what happens it, it's it's sort of fairly basic stuff uh, I jest a bit it's we, we teach them basic uh, how to wire a plug, how to fault find um, what's going going wrong with a lamp, a table lamp. You know, we uh, will do something to it to stop it working and get them to find out what uh, it sort of power, um, what do you call it? Um, logical problem. deduction, that sort of thing. Yeah, problem solving. Problem solving. Problem, that's, that's it, that's it, yeah. problem solving, yes. Uh, Sorry, I was going to yep. ask, ask, and so 
how did you um how did you overcome all the concerns i think a lot of sheds or a lot of schools can be a little bit cautious about the idea of mixing sort of you know different audiences with with students how did you guys come overcome that well i don't think there's ever really a concern uh we we insisted that there would be a teacher there and the head's response was too right um there will be um because she didn't want, she didn't particularly want to let us uh, run riot. Um, so the idea is that the teacher, the teacher keeps control, and some of them are better at that than others, um, as you can imagine. Uh, and we we do the technical stuff. Um, so teach them how to. Uh, last year we had them making. Uh, I'm, not, I'm never sure how you say this: trebuchets or trebuchets. Yeah, the, the, the medieval. Um, thing that used to, you know, they used to fire um, boiling oil into uh, into castles and things like that, set fire to castles. Only these were a lot smaller, I hasten to point out, and, uh, and were used for firing um, Brussels sprouts, <laughs> <laughs> which be therefore became a little seasonal, but never mind. <laughs> Because a frozen Brussels sprout would do a lot of damage. It could but, do. <laughs> but they, they quite enjoyed doing that. And uh, we learnt some interesting ways of, uh, of how to shave a piece of wood. Rather than uh, use a saw and go round in a nice curve, they just stuck it in a sand, a power sander and just sanded the whole curve, um, which made a lot of dust. But there you go. It does. Yeah. So you have 35 to 40 members, and what kind of what kind of um, people are your your members, Mike? In basic mainly state? retired tradesmen. Uh, we have some IT people, uh, but yeah, they're mainly mainly retired uh, tradesmen, electricians, plumbers, um, carpenters, that sort of thing, and uh, they they know what they're doing. As uh, as one of our members is very fond of saying, we've got about 15,000. Sorry, 1,500 years of bad habits between us. <laughs> and we can pass them on. Yes. So. Mike, a bit of a side, but we, one of the members of the Froom Shed used to be a gamekeeper for the Queen. And um, I said, oh, great, you must come and tell your story on the, on the radio show. He said, no, Official Secrets Act, I'm not allowed to. <laughs> Yeah, one wonders why. No, well, I, I have no idea, but he wasn't he wasn't allowed to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so in three and a half years, uh, are, you, are you registered charity now? Yeah, yeah, we did that in the first six months, I think. And what is that? Is there is a, a charitable incorporated organisation? Yeah, the usual sort of thing. And, and how, uh, did you, how did you find, was that easy to, to register as a charity? Well, it's... It strikes me that uh, the difficult bit about that isn't uh, filling in the constitution things, it's actually filling in the objects in the constitution. Yeah. And getting it so that the Charities Commission actually think you're doing something charitable. Uh, that, that took a couple of goes around, but the rest of it was relatively easy. And we haven't changed the constitution since. Uh, no, it's a complicated changing the constitution, isn't it, once you're registered? But... Yeah. yeah. So how big is your premises? Besides that, you've got, you, you're in the premises in a school, but how, how big are your premises? And do you have you know, outside storage space and things like this? Well, we, yeah, we have a, a porter cabin that's uh, 40 foot by 10 foot. Um, 
12 foot, uh, which is the main shed. In fact, what happened was uh, when I got invited down there in the three month setup time to, uh, to sort of look at whether the premises were suitable, they said, oh, we got these two wonderful workshops and they are, they've got laser cutter and uh, metalwork lathe and things like that in them. They're, they're well equipped to say the least. Um, they've also now got a, a huge uh, milling machine in it, which is ours and was a donation from a, a lady, uh, which was very, very useful. We had to put it in there though, because that's sort of concrete floor. If we put it in the porter cabin, it would now be underneath the porter cabin. It would be. We'll go it, it. it literally weighs a ton, yeah. and uh, took three blokes on scaffold poles to move it. Anyway, I I digress. Uh, so there's some nice tools in there, and they said, well, you you know, you can use this, and I said, yeah, but where would we keep things? And uh, he said, well, look, look out this window here. There's a porter cabin over there. You can you can have that. Okay, I said that'll be our shed then. And we'll come in here when we need to. So, so we've got that self-contained unit, which I think is important, and it means we can use that when the children are in school, because most of our members are not DBS checked. Uh, we just go in and use the, the facilities in the school um, after three o'clock when the school closes. Okay. So that's the way it works. And how how many days a week are you open? Um, two. Um, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays um, from two to about seven and presumably not open at the moment no um, no we've been shut oh I don't know I think we we shut just before Boris told us to so um, so Mike you're in, you're involved in a very interesting project called shed in a bus can you give us kind of some background on that and where it's at and, and some of the steps that you took to we had a little technical issue there and we'll come back to part two of Mike's interview in just a second. Yeah. I'll say something about that interview though, because uh, I love, I love the thing at the end of that 10 minute piece uh, which was, about, which... about Christmas. Uh, it made me think of Christmas and the trebuchet and the Brussels sprouts. Oh th yeah. Throwing Brussels and, sprouts with a trebuchet. Yeah. And I thought if we're, if we're open again in time for Christmas, that is the thing to do is the trebuchet competition to launch the sprouts. You put someone put someone in a room with an elastic band and a piece of wood and a Brussels sprout, and it's going to happen within ten minutes. I tell you, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, sorry about the abrupt halt to that section. Um, at that point, we had to cut it short. And now back to the second part of that interview. Mike from Basingstoke, welcome back. The shed happens. Uh, we had a bit of a technical problem yesterday, and uh, we had to reconvene this morning. So we're hoping that the uh, connections uh, maintain maintain themselves. During this interview, mm -hmm. uh, we just got to the point chatting to Mike about the Basingstoke Shed and his really exciting project called Basingstoke Shed in a Bus. So perhaps, Mike, you could um, give us a bit of background on uh, Shed in a Bus and, and how, how it's going. Well, it was interesting. It, at Christmas before last, so 2018, uh, one of my daughters bought my wife and I a, a, a tour around London in a bus looking at the Christmas lights. Now, I, I tend to bore quite easily looking at lights, partly perhaps because I'm colourblind, so I maybe don't get the same effect. And I started thinking, I wonder what you could do with the bus. Oh, I know, you could put a shed in one. And, uh, you know, wouldn't it be fun to have a lathe over there and a, a drill over there? And, uh, you know, the imagination went, uh, went uh, a bit uh, riot at that point. So... Uh, 
I, I didn't think much more of it until uh, I was next talking to our treasurer who uh, has his feet very firmly on the ground and is, is good for bringing my ideas down to, uh, to uh, actually that won't work. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, uh, is, he, is he an accountant? I've noticed accountants will often find, um, you know, the one thing wrong out of 10 um, to raise with you on these kind of things. <laughs> uh, he's not an accountant. Uh, whether he could have been is a, another issue. Sorry, he's, very, he's a very good, uh, a very good treasurer. Well done. You need a good treasurer. Sorry to interrupt. Do carry yes. on. Anyway, so so he acts as a, a good sounding board as well. And he said, "No, no, I think that's a good idea." Oh. So I picked myself up off the floor, and uh, <laughs> and then it sort of started from there. So we spent last year, uh, so 2019, uh, looking for well, getting support for it. Uh, and surprisingly, uh, everybody that we talked to about it said, yeah, that's a great idea. And come uh, towards the end of the year, we actually got all the funding. We wrote business plan, got it all, all together, got the funding we needed, and even found a bus at, uh, from courtesy of Stagecoach London, who uh, gave us this, this bus at uh, a very advantageous price. We... Uh, so we put, we paid for that. It needed an MOT, but then the amount we were saving on the bus that wasn't going to be a limiting factor. So we uh, got the bus moved so they could get the MOT done. And basically, they said brakes have had it. We got the brakes fixed, um, and all was going well. It was going back for an MOT, and then COVID came along. And DVSA said sorry. Uh, we we are uh, not doing any MOTs uh, on commercial vehicles for the, at least the next three months. So it's currently stuck in Essex, uh, waiting for an MOT so that we can move it down to Basingstoke and start the conversion. Well, that's good. Well, well done. Well done to Stagecoach London. Thank you. Thank you for that. Can I ask where you got your grant from? Uh, the National Lottery gave us uh, a National Lottery community community fund it's called these yeah. days what was awards for all they they gave us 10 grand and uh the bulk of the rest of it came from uh, hampshire county council fantastic I'm very interested in it well that, i mean it's again it's another story where it's great where you've got business like stagecoach giving you a good price you've got the national lottery and you've got the local council local county council working all together with the men's sheds that's fantastic yeah. One of the one of the problems with having a double decker bus is uh, where do you keep it? Um, we we got um, several, well, a couple of offers. One of which was from the school that uh, one of the sheds is at. They said we could keep it in next to their football field. However, we we would worry about what would happen to the bus, just like we worry about what happens to the shed, yeah. while uh, you know everything's uh, shut down. And, and afterwards. So we were looking for somewhere a bit more secure than that. Um, talked to Stagecoach. Stagecoach being very good with this. Stagecoach Basingstoke. And they said, oh, you can keep it in our depot. Brilliant. So it is destined for Stagecoach Basingstoke's depot, where there are lots of other double-decker buses. And security and everything else. And how is it getting over there? Are you driving it then, Mike? Uh, no. We, we have a tame... A qualified bus driver you can't drive these things without a category d license and nobody in the shed has got one 
there are a few ex-bus drivers, but they don't have valid licenses anymore. This, this guy is going to move it as and when he will drive it down. But the interesting thing is that once it's, once it's moved and we convert it and it is no longer a bus, it becomes, or we will claim to the DVLA that it, will, that it is a special projects vehicle. And a special projects vehicle is things like uh, a play bus or a, an educational bus or, or demonstration and things like that. And the interesting thing is you can drive one of those on a car license. Excellent. So is there a, so there's a crossover? At what point can you say it is no longer a functioning stagecoach bus, stage bus and it's now a a shed play bus. <laughs> good, good question. <laughs> we will find out. <laughs> Basically, take the seats out. You can't have more than eight seats in it for use while you're going along. Um, and you uh, and you have to put seat belts in the seats. And it, you know, basically you take take the rest of the seats out benches and drills and things like that and say well look it's not a bus is it and uh hopefully they will say no we we accept the fact that it's it's that we talk to them and uh theoretically they agree that 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 will be okay brilliant now what what facilities are you planning to um uh you know put on the bus when you take out these whatever it is 60 seats or whatever yeah um yeah, do you know anyone that wants 60 bus seats? <laughs> <laughs> That's my next question is, what are you going to do with all the seats? <laughs> we we uh, will have some kind of fire sale. You cannot get rid of them, apparently. The idea is that the top floor will be a workshop. So it'll be fitted out with benches, pillar drill, table saw, chop saw, things like that. And then downstairs particularly towards the back, will be at what we call our cafe, which is, you know, then then has the two facilities that you have in most sheds, which is somewhere to do work and, uh, and make things and somewhere to sit and have tea and chat and that sort of thing. And then the, the, the front half of the bottom, uh, the lower lower saloon, we've got to call it, is uh, will be where the driver goes and uh, where we probably put loads of leaflets and things like that. The idea is that that um, no, I, I, I sort of started from the point that I started, which was I was on a bus and I thought we could turn this into a shed. But of course, the question then is why would you do that? What would you use it for? And what what we uh, our main purpose of doing this is to be able to go to uh, sites local to local to us and on a regular basis, a bit like a mobile li- library might, or y- used to anyway, um, and you turn up once a week and that becomes the shed for that community for that afternoon or whatever. And then another day you go to another site, do, do the same kind of thing. And it helps establish a shed in that area. And the idea would be that for six to 12 months, we do that and then uh, move on somewhere else. Hopefully having, having encouraged them to build their own shed, their own shed community, which was self-sufficient enough to go out and 
get funding by demonstrating that the need exists and uh, and and go and um, get their own building locally. Do you know that Mike? That's, that's the same model as South Lanarkshire bus, um, and they've done over the last three years by using their mobile shed. They've grown the number of sheds in the area from three to twelve using exactly that method, yeah. where where the mobile shed turns up um, um, at the area, and then they use that to promote. Um, the need for sheds and gather the impetus and um, yeah grown from three to twelve in, in three years yes this i mean by the nature of the fact it's a double decker bus i think is a bit larger than than what they've actually got and i i thought that they weren't actually um being the shed facility the idea is that this would be the shed facility yeah in in the area but may, maybe they've moved on since i last uh, encountered that it's it's a lot smaller than your double-decker bus that's certain yeah um, so we, we wanted to have something that roughly had the floor space of our porter cabin that i mentioned yesterday okay. and it turns out that a double-decker bus has pretty much exactly the the same uh floor area as uh, as the porter cabin has so if we could do it if we could convert the porter cabin into a into a shed, why couldn't we convert a double-decker bus? Was the line of thinking. So the answer is there is a lot more complicated and a lot more expensive. We won't be doing that for eight pounds sixty-three. I can tell you. No, no. <laughs> um, and how are you dealing with the supply of um, water and electrical power? Uh, electrical power. You go to the world of motorhomes for that. Um, you know, just a, a, a hookup into a local community centre or wherever you're going to park it. We've also got a generator that will sit in a compartment on the facing outwards in the bus uh, so that we can we can be self-sufficient and that would be uh, that would be for things like um, when when we take it to fates because what we'd like to do is take it to fates and summer shows and things like that and park this big red bus because we're not going to change the color nice big red bus there and sort of say this is shedding come and have a look and this is exactly what self so i understand south lanarkshire did and get people on board to see what they might be doing and get the feel of it and uh, uh, let them them sort of experience shedding and hopefully inspires you know quite a few to go and join their local shed and uh, maybe a few others to go and start one seems to me mike you um might like to take a lesson from Formula One and um, sell some sponsorship on a side of your bus. Funnily enough, we thought of that. We've already, uh, we, we're talking to a tool manufacturer at the moment, power tool manufacturer, who is um, seriously considering giving us all the power tools we need, which is great. And uh, in, in exchange, they will want their name on the side of the bus. We'll obviously have to acknowledge the lottery who are very keen on having their name wherever they can get it, which is fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And the Hampshire County Council and various other sponsors. We have someone who apparently you can shrink wrap a, a double-decker bus in vinyl. <laughs> and uh, we're talking to a graphic design company who are uh, seriously considering doing that for us. Uh, whether they'll do it for nothing or not, I don't know. But they're talking about uh, cut rates for in exchange for sponsorship. So um, 
yes, it's like having a walk, uh, a sort of mobile billboard. Yeah. Where we can just put whatever adverts we want. So how many shutters do you think the bus is going to take in terms of the workshop or, and or the cafe? Well, the, the cafe will have a capacity, will have about 17 seats in it. Um, and we can also use that for training events. We'll have a couple of video screens in there. There's, there seems to be a market for uh, people in Basingstoke. Um, I think I can say without being sexist that it's mainly women who want to learn how to do DIY for one reason or another. And uh, so we think there might be a line in there, drive the bus up. Um, another use for it, suggested by a head teacher of the school, because, because we work uh, at, with schools, but she said, I'm not sure that we could afford to have it regularly coming to our school, but I'd certainly pay you a, a couple of hundred quid to come and do a children's party for my son, who's eight. So you, you drive the bus up, the kids all get on the bus, they make something, and they go off and uh, with a bird box or whatever. I think the thing about the bus is people can think of lots of good art, lots of ways we can use it. And I, I'm sure that we will be able to find lots of other ways of using it that we've never thought of yet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so ways is get it converted, get it working. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you're, you're, you, you get, have baseline number of ideas, but actually it will evolve over time as people start to adopt it and see it as part of their, you know, an opportunity in their community. Well, yes. And I think if it's successful, um, sorry, when it's successful, we, we will have um, people suggesting that other sheds convert them or that we convert some more or whatever, because uh, Hampshire are very interested in that. In fact, one official in Hampshire said, uh, well, why are you only going for funding for one? Why don't you go for funding for 10 of them? The answer to which was, I know my limitations. <laughs> I'll do one at a time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put yourself under unnecessary pressure, I guess. Um, yeah. So, so behind you then, Mike, there must be a, a little team of you guys that are all pushing this forward. And do you want to say a little bit about, you know, I guess, your kind of core team and making this happen? We have a little core team. Uh, it's carrying on meeting. In fact, we had a meeting uh, this morning uh, just every couple of weeks we just get together there's not much we can do without the bus there are a, a few a few things a bit of design work and things like that but until the restrictions come off we can't do much but um uh, we have a guy called pete who's uh, busy designing the the cafe area and uh, working out how to provide hot water and the like working with someone called robert on that uh, Ian is our person in charge of the upper deck, the, the upper saloon, uh, and converting it into a workshop and uh, uh, and so on. And we have a, a chap called Robin on the team who's um, who is uh, working out a lot of the processes and procedures because when we, you know, so we've got a bus, it's a workshop. You can you can essentially use it. It will have to be moved and, you know, I have to have various procedures for, for example, a checklist before you take it out, a checklist when, you, when it comes back uh, and all kinds of other processes and procedures. Oh, and the, the other thing I should mention is that while it is possible to drive it on a car license, we're not going to let anybody just with a car license come in 
and drive it, they will first of all have to go through a little test of our own devising, which might not be as rigorous as the uh, the DVLA one, but it will be there to make sure that uh, they're not going to bend it because we've only got one at the moment. <laughs> Mike, that sounds really comprehensive team. I mean, management of these things is often uh, an equal challenge to actually converting it or building it in the first place. Indeed. Yes, and, and that was something that we realised as we were going through the project last year, towards the end of last year, that actually it's a great shared project to get it to the point where it is a workshop in a bus after that it becomes much more of an operational thing yeah and the skills are different you, you don't need uh you don't need a plumber and a carpenter and an electrician to uh do much after that what you need is administrative skills to to book the bus to make sure that there's always a driver and that it gets where it is essentially like running a bus service yeah. so there's a lot for us to learn there and probably our thoughts at the moment, what we'll probably do is to set up a, a separate charity that will actually run the bus mm. and, uh, and develop it from there. Mm. But um, I anticipate Basingstoke Shed will carry on doing the, the technical work. Mm. But there's so much you, more to it than that. Have you got any idea of sort of overall annual um, running costs then at the moment in terms of what it looks like or generating enough money to, to keep it going? At the moment, we're in a reasonable state in terms of, uh, of finances to keep it going for at least two years. You seem to have it really, really well planned and thought through. I like to think so, and thank you for that. Well, no, really. <laughs> um, and, but given, I mean, we don't know how long the lockdown will last, but once the, um, the um, MOTs are open again, how long do you think it's going to take to convert? We reckon about three months to convert it. So we're looking to start a couple of pilot sites after about, run that for about three months, test out the processes, make sure that everything works from a, a sort of procedural point of view as well as from a, a sort of technical point of view. And are you um, looking for more help or support from anybody or any organisations? Uh, well, it does want help to, uh, to guard it and... Yes, yes, we are. Uh, one of the uh, one of the things that we are particularly concerned about is um, is actually people to drive the bus, because it, it turns out, uh, you know, the the idea of driving a bus really sort of excites me. It turns out, you know, there are people around who sort of think you must be joking. I'm not driving something that big, and they seem to be in the majority. So. We will need bus drivers. I think it's this, this getting this whole administrative machine going, though, yeah. and, uh, and all the processes and procedures that are needed for that to, to really make it operate as, a, as an effective service because we don't want to have spent 18 months, as I'm sure it will have been by then, getting to the point where we've got a converted bus and yeah. then it doesn't get used properly because... The bus, the bus drivers don't turn up. They don't know where they've got to be, and all those kind of things. So, and and also the, there's the whole bit. Assuming we do start that as a as a separate charity, we will want some trustees to take a long term view of it, a strategic view uh, of how we develop that, and whether we have more more buses and. Uh, 
what, how we use the one we've got. I don't want to run before we can walk, but um, no, I can dream. Absolutely. And if you ever decide that you know you are going to branch out and Manchester's on the hit list, tap me up. I would love to get one, and I'd love to drive one. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, when um, when uh, we've got the the thing in place, we we've got a website shed in sorry shed in abus.org.uk, and it's hyphenated, and that's uh, sort of being updated at the moment. But that explains the project and so on one of the things we want to do on that is to put all the plans all all the ideas and how we did it and the problems we had on there and use that hopefully as a at least a starting point for other people to be able to do this because actually we're making most of it up as we go along but having having learned the mistakes and over the last year or so we've we've uh, got a few mistakes that we've learned and uh, you know we'd like to share those with other people yeah yeah nothing's a mistake if you learn from it that's what my nan always used to say <laughs> therefore all you have to do is to find some unsuspecting shed in manchester to get interested in it and they can do it themselves <laughs> well I, I, i've just moved to a new area salford and uh, yeah I, i've started connecting with them to talk about all the projects just to get a bit of an overview of what's going on and then everything flipped upside down so i'm now part yeah. of the emergency response team instead that'll do for for now <laughs> yeah mike well um thank you very much indeed for that very um very interesting and i think i think if you can put your plans up uh, because your depth of thought on this lot, I think, is brilliant. I think those plans will be very valuable to other organisations yeah. thinking of um, thinking of embarking on this. And um, I'd certainly like to pass on my thanks and congratulations to Peter, Robert, Ian, and Robin, and your treasurer for for um, encouraging yes. you to, to proceed. Yes, Ga Gary is Gary is um, is our treasurer, and I should have mentioned him. Of course, he's he's still looking after the money and making sure I don't spend too much. <laughs> they always do. They always do. Sign of yeah. a good treasure of that. <laughs> Absolutely. He does so, it with a nice smile on his face as well. Yeah, no, they <laughs> often do. Yes. <laughs> so, Mike, we, um, how are you managing during the lockdown now? Well, the lockdown clearly has hit this project and it's, it's also shut the shed in common with, uh, with all the... The others uh, sheds, but uh, we we're having weekly, sh sorry, bi-weekly shed meetings on the phone, uh, um, sort of taking it down to the the lowest common denominator of the the plain old telephone yeah. uh, audio conference, so that everybody can join in because not all our members are, have computers or smartphones. So we're doing that at the, the shed level. The bus, as I said, we we keep meeting every couple of weeks just to keep things ticking over. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, the, tele the telephone conference, what facilities are you using for the telephone conferencing? That's YPay. YPay, okay. YPay, which is, uh, they claim is free. So whenever someone claims that something's free, I look at how they're actually making money out of it. And I think the answer is they probably get a rake off because you have to pay for every call that's going in. So you've got 10 people on the, the conference call, that's 10 local calls and i'm sure they get a share out of uh, bt or whoever for that oh, okay but it works okay but, if you but it works re really well it's your usual sort of thing you uh, you dial into a number you give a meeting number you give a password 
passcode and then uh, and then start talking well look, mike we're, we're coming to the end really of, uh, of of this session on the bus i think it's a fantastic project i really do think that it, it's great for you to embark on this and we'll be watching it very closely going forward i'm sure that um you can get all kinds of support from inside the shed movement for events and exhibitions and things like this going forward but um to close maybe um would you like to pass a message on to the basingstoke shedders who are currently locked down or shedders on a worldwide or a wider basis well i i think for me it's just uh, it just sort of keep the faith you know we don't know where this thing's going the scientists and, and governments are learning how to handle this and we need to be a bit sympathetic rather than throwing bricks at them all the time for not knowing the answers you know sheds will open again it's uh, sheds may be slightly different at least for a while everybody in masks and whatever who knows yeah. um but i just think we've got to keep the faith believe in shedding and and uh, you know carry on good point yes no thank you very much indeed mike so yeah thank you mike that was that was great i i echo what mike breading says keep the faith believe in shedding sheds will open again now a change of subject last wednesday the 22nd of april was world earth day this is an annual event celebrated around the world on the 22nd to demonstrate support for environmental protection first celebrated in 1970 it now includes events coordinated globally by the earth day network in more than 190 countries now i'm personally concerned that the coronavirus crisis has put several very important subjects on the back burner including brexit which I won't mention again, but it's not going to go away. Um, and also critically, global warming and climate change. Since February in the UK, all transport use is down by 60%. Rail and tube travel is down by 95%. As a result, pollution has tumbled in cities across the UK. Data shows that during the lockdown, levels of nitrogen dioxide are down by 40% in many UK cities as high as 48% reduction in Leeds, 36 in London, and 31% reduction in nitrogen dioxide in Bristol. Now this fall in nitrogen dioxide gives potential glimpse into cities of the future, where most transport will not be from diesel or petrol. Um, and the government is already planning to phase these out to tackle climate change and, and pollution. Now the Secretary General of the United Nations said recently, greenhouse gases, just like viruses, do not respect national boundaries. We need to turn the recovery from the pandemic into a real opportunity to do things right for the future. Um, I'd like to hear from our studio guests how they see things changing in the new normal, either nationally or in fact, really what sheds may look like going forward. Um, as some people are calling things the new normal, I prefer the term build back better. This is a concept that's been around for a while, but it's using post-disaster reconstruction and recovery as an opportunity to improve a community's physical, social, environmental, and economic conditions to create a more resilient community in an effective and efficient way. But first, let's hear from David Attenborough, his personal witness statement from the Andrew Marr Show last weekend. Uh, I thanks the Netflix for their approval for this extract from the film to be released later in the year called A Life on Our Planet. Global climate is one of the many stories knocked off the front pages by this pandemic, but even as the world economy stalls, it's still there. 
In a remarkable new Netflix film, David Attenborough has been looking back on his life and coming up with some possible ways to deal with the immense challenges facing the planet. It isn't all bad news. I talked to him and the World Wildlife Fund's Colin Butfield just before social distancing was introduced. And I asked Sir David about coronavirus, of course, but first he explained why he had agreed to make what he calls his own personal witness statement on climate change. I am David Attenborough, and I am 93. I've had the most extraordinary life. It's only now that I appreciate how extraordinary. The living world is a unique and spectacular marvel. Yet the way we humans live on Earth is sending it into a decline. Human beings have overrun the world. We're replacing the wild with the tame. This film is my witness statement and my vision for the future. The story of how we came to make this our greatest mistake. And how, if we act now, we can yet put it right. Studio panel, can we put things right? What can we learn from the pandemic crisis? What will sheds look like in the future? Will there be virtual sheds? What's your views? Well, I mean, the new uh, normal shedding is an interesting one because um, I've heard a lot of talk recently about the possibility of uh, something referred to as isopods, uh, which is where you get people in isolation in small groups um, who are literally living alone, uh, shopping together. Therefore, the possibilities of getting together is something that can be discussed. And this will, of course, as soon as you start getting shedders back together and people back together discussing things, we can start to talk about these uh, very, very serious um, issues that face us all globally and, uh, and, and finding ways through it. Kids in school in China are being encouraged to wear a hat with um, a one metre extension on either side to remind them not to get too close to each other. But I think it, it, this leads back to the point that Steve was raising about the number of sheds that will have to reduce the number of people who come in the, in the medium term um, and, and increase the number of sessions. So maybe, Steve, can you give us an idea on, on, on some of the challenges that you met when you increased the shed sessions from one to two in Wells? Yes, certainly. Um, obviously, a lot of our members are not in their youngest of years. So we have to ask them to make sure that if they have got any symptoms or any illnesses, that they make us aware of them. Now that's sometimes quite difficult for people to do. The other thing that we have to do is related to the health and safety regulations. And obviously having qualified first aiders uh, available is going to become even more important. That means that we have to find the money to train people and then it's down to, yes, you can limit the number of people that working in the shed at any one time. So that's something we've got to look at. Um, and they're the challenges at the moment that we foresee. I think you're right, Steve. I think quite a few shops are going to have to redesign themselves in the medium term. I think this will uh, develop as the weeks go on. I mean, we're going to have to wait and see how government advice and other advice changes. Uh, but um, when you're dealing with people who have been self-isolating for long periods of time, and are therefore without uh, any form of uh, COVID in their system. We're going to see how these things develop and as to whether the actual, this, this critical two-metre 
spacing type scenario, which I think that's going to develop. And I think uh, the, the whole idea of, of people who are self-isolating being able to congregate again. Uh, I'm really hopeful that this will develop. And in fact, it's something I'm looking into myself, um, probably report on that in a further program. One of the things that, I mean, you know, three, four months ago, if, if we had said, can we reduce the number of cars on the road by 60% in a week? Everyone would say, impossible. So I, I think maybe there are some things that we can learn from our ability to behave differently that may help us with climate change and global warming going forward um, um, after this pandemic crisis is over. I agree. I mean, I think one of the things that could be encouraged, and we do it to some extent already, is car sharing so that we don't have all the members all coming in separate cars and then we've got the problem with the pollution and obviously parking problems. And you'd be interested to hear, Steve, that they also had parking problems in uh, Honolulu when we were talking to uh, uh, Mike Trojan the other day. He was saying this is one of the big problems they had at the, at the men's shed in Hawaii. People are still sharing cars, but that's yeah. a huge, huge issue currently with, with what's being recommended i certainly wouldn't want to get in a in a car with somebody that wasn't um you know in my isopod if you like bearing in mind that there may be change and again i'm hopeful of that change yeah um car sharing may be something that can be considered again in in uh, in the months to come yes hey, I, agree. I think you raised a, a, an interesting point about um a, an interesting group of individuals who who managed to stage a mass demonstration whilst strictly um, maintaining social distancing yeah yeah it was in it was in Berlin so it was actually um, I don't know if it was or certainly supported by Greta um, but ultimately the, the idea was that if we couldn't protest together side by side what we could do is still present our posters of demonstration and lay them out in front of in front what building was that Patrick? I think it was the Reichstag the, the Parliament building in, in yeah in the Parliament Berlin. building but it's quite powerful because it was still had that visual impact of, you know, each poster represents at least one person. It's very popular to say at the moment that our house is on fire, but at least we're all at home. So we can uh, <laughs> maybe look into that situation a little bit better ourselves. But, it, you know, there are very serious points to address. Uh, you know, I mean, great admiration of what Greta was up to. And um, in, in our part of the country, she visited Bristol and the only headlines were, look what they did to College Green. I was at College Green two days later and the grass was going back beautifully. So uh, a lot of nonsense. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm not sure if the timing is right yet, but it does feel that as we start, you know, things are starting to reduce in terms of deaths and admissions. Maybe there comes a point where we start to look at what what life looks like, and it maybe it's not quite yet because it's still a lot of suffering, a lot of worry out there. But the idea that maybe this rainbow drawing movement could move to a, you know, children drawing pictures of the planet Earth or putting protest posters up to sort of sort of show that actually beyond this, there's a real learning from this of how we've given the planet somewhat of a rest. Change is possible. I think the phrase for me, which was quite, has had the biggest impact is only go to work if it's necessary. And actually, I know a lot of people who are now working from home, which, which kind of demonstrates that a lot of travel, as we know, is unnecessary. And that's not just for work, but it's also personal. I did do probably a little bit of a slightly naughty trip to my parents to drop off a load of shopping on Easter weekend. And, I, and, I, and, I, and on bank holiday weekend, right, and it is normally horrific on the M6, there was no one. And it was sort of apocalyptic, but in a sort of beautiful way, <laughs> because everyone was respecting the rules and, and showing that we didn't need to go crazy. Oh my God, we've got some time off, let's move, let's move. 
there is a slight, you know, confusion between the uh, the test and trace and hammer and dance type situations that we hear uh, talked about with regards to the way uh, government is dealing with these situations. And, and you know, being self-employed and having a workshop at home, um, it, it's um, it's for me, it's a no-brainer. I, I stay at home. I'm protecting everybody that I know, everybody around. But I, I I'm very aware that there are a lot of people uh, who do my kind of work who are out working. And every time they go into a builder suppliers, they're meeting people who they don't know, who have been with people just now that they don't know. And yeah. uh, I'm not one to point fingers over a fence at people group, you know, grouping together in twos and threes. But I think people really do need to be aware that uh, if we take this very seriously, we will come out of it much quicker. And I think the government maybe, you know, clamp down just a little bit more to tell people this a bit more often, I think, in my personal opinion. I, I spoke to David Helmers this morning um, and, and he was saying that Australia are on track for eradication within the next few weeks because they said actually the, the, the forest, the, the bushfires had meant that it had already reduced the huge amount of traffic coming into the country. But they've actually are now on track. They're going to have the first level of um, releasing lockdown this weekend. But it proves that, you know, if you really take it seriously, it can totally take us to a path um, of, of some sort of back to normality. Um, um, and they've reopened Bondi Beach is what I heard too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say about climate change and sort of sheds? So it's interesting, Patrick, because when you first raised this, my initial feeling was sheds are already somewhat of a solution to the, the issue around recycling, um, you know, making do with what we've got. I mean, we heard phrases like stick of the dump, skip rats, um, <laughs> taking, you know, taking on old tools as well. So there's something around sheds already being somewhat of a solution and almost maybe celebrating that when we come out to sort of say, you know, that they are very much part of making do with what we've got rather than constantly creating new. Um, and I think the idea that sheds are connecting outside of the shed now through online stuff, I hope that will carry on because it shows that kind of support beyond the shed walls. I think the virtual shed is, a, is, a, yeah. is an interesting one too, but I think it has, to, it has to embody the kind of culture of the physical shed um, actively. Um, I'm not quite sure what that might look like. Yeah. Maybe we should have a separate session on that at some point. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we should. I think, I think for me the important thing is, is that um, things should not return to what they used to be like. I think we need to look at it in a different way. I think, as, as we keep mentioning, that we, we're using technology to an extent where people were a bit cautious or reserved about using it. But now they're seeing the benefits of it. So that has been an explosion. I think keeping in touch with families and friends via the internet is absolutely tremendous. And, and I just don't understand how we would survive without it and uh, another thing that came out of the mike braiding uh, interview was this uh, telephone audio conferencing system uh, was it what was it called Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. and um uh, so, so some people who are you know resistant to the technology um uh, this sounds like something that definitely should i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up after we've recorded this today and find out more about it uh, just mm. a way of having a, a normal telephone call but a conference yeah i mean reaching those people that don't have the access is, is equally as important as continuing with the, with the, the online conferencing and other uh, ways to link up anyway. So a little bit of training on exploiting that to good effect, I think could be advantageous to us. Mm. Steve, one of the things that's coming out very shortly from the Men's Shed Association is on um, video conferencing. And what they're doing is, is they're giving contact details to three shedders who are experienced in using it that can be called upon to act as an advice point. 
and I see that as happening too. So I think those people who've got the experience of using YPay, et cetera, need to put their hands up and say, if anybody wants to use YPay or Zoom or Skype, you can call so-and-so and they'll, they'll tell you how it works and, what, what, and give you some advice. Because there's nothing yeah. like a quick phone call to just have someone say, it's really easy, you can do it, et cetera, et cetera. Good. Well, um, we, we'll bring that to a close, I think. Any other points that, that, that you'd like to raise, anybody? I think looking at alternative power sources might be something that we could start to investigate a little bit more. Um, we need to look at other ways of using natural energy, wind power, solar energy, and so on and so forth to have that positive impact and obviously at the same time if we can reduce the cost of our outgoings that would be a bonus as well is the country set up for the electric vehicle um, do we generate enough electric power to power all those vehicles uh, what would be the cost and the impact of uh, electrifying all the recharging points but how we generate the power isn't getting as much focus as it should do that's that's right, Stephen. The uh, the investigation into you know what's truly renewable, um, it, it's a, it's a huge question, and it's one that's um, uh, been on the the top of my mind since getting involved in um, uh, sort of combined heat and power and uh, biofuel projects back in about two thousand eight yeah. two thousand and nine. Uh, we really do have to ask those probing questions, and I think that that's, uh, that sums it up beautifully, actually. Well, it's, like, it's, it's like the diet issue, the one that says that. You know, if you're vegan and you're, you're eating beans that have been grown down the road, that's great. But if you're eating avocado that's been flown in from Kenya, it's not yes. great, you know. And probably, no. handle, and probably handled by the mafia as well. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I'm going to call that to, to a halt, if I may. Um, I thought that was a really interesting and useful discussion, and well done for everyone today, you know, because there are you. a lot of difficult areas in this. You know, I, I expand recycling, but there's the whole psychological thing that says – if you if you recycle something then it takes away the guilt of buying it in the first place when maybe you shouldn't have bought it in the first place thank you so much studio guests kate gordon dan gamai and steve whitley uh, on next week's show we'll be hearing from several sheds that have built their own sheds so thanks to all the people who've helped make this show best wishes thank to go you. to the basingstoke shed the sheds in south lanarkshire and the cleveland shed and the wales community shed and lastly thanks to all of the nhs staff the gps nurses and doctors care workers and other essential staff who are bravely looking after us and all the people working in Sainsbury's and all the other places where they're putting their selves at risk. So thank you for that. This has been this week's Shed Happens on Froom FM 96.6 and online at Froom.fm. Thank you for listening. Say goodbye, studio guests. Goodbye, Shedders. Goodbye, Shedders. Goodbye, Shedders. Thank you, and a goodbye from me. So let's all stay at home, protect the NHS and socialise. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for listening. Please listen again on Fruit FM next Wednesday, the 6th of May. See more details on the show at www.shedhappens.uk. We close with another coronavirus song, this time from Shedder Graham Curtis from the Stonehouse Men's Shed in South Lanarkshire. And a little ditty called, You Canny Let Your Granny Catch the Bug. Uh, received this from a friend of mine after he picked it up on YouTube. It's written by a lady called Amanda Brown. Oh, you can't even let your granny catch the bug Stay at home and wash your hands, don't be a mug Oh, it's really gonna try us, this nasty little virus You can't even let your granny catch the bug 
shedhappens at ukmsa.org.uk and there is a link to the dedicated page for this episode in the podcast description. Many thanks for listening to We Are The Weather. I look forward to seeing you all again soon. Bye-bye.